If you're looking for a clean, sober, professional, academic, well-researched, historically accurate, generally accurate, serious podcast on Southern folklore, ghosts, bizarre events, and unique people, this podcast is not for you. However, if you've decided you can live with that, then join us for The Strange South. doesn't stink oh. and it it lasts like if i forget to put deodorant on that morning i don't have to worry about it because it mm-hmm. does last longer than normal deodorant so you sweat more but you don't smell right awesome it was funny because i also it's like the the ad for it was all like you can use this on any body part mm-hmm. and it's meant for all body parts all it's body not meant parts. for just because she was a gynecologist and she originally was like people say that women smell bad but they don't it's just normal smell and then she was like, but there's, they don't give you anything safe and natural to use right. if it's something that bothers you. Right. And so, you know, so that's where it came from. And right. I'm like, ooh. Yeah. I mean, cause it's like, you sweat. My pit smell. All my feet the smell, places. My cooter smell. <laughs> Everything <Like this>. smells. <laughs> cooter. In the South. Everything smell. smells in the South. Oh, way to tie that in. Hi, Marleya. Hi, Patrice. <laughs> I don't know. I, I was on my phone looking for something, and I don't know what a chalkboard. I don't know oh, what it was. Yes. So you. Definitely chalkboard. 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 We, we I should be buying a chalkboard. We forget to look for a chalkboard, and when it did, needs to go on the chalkboard. When did this start? Like last week? It started last week, and we were talking about walking into a room. or Actually, not even walk, getting as far as the other room, but no. standing up oh, yeah. and completely forgetting why you stood up. By the time by, you're all the way on your feet. Right. By yeah. The time it's, been a, it's been a week. So we definitely need chalkboards, because we have phones, and obviously they're not doing this any good. <laughs> Nothing else. <laughs> Nothing helps. So something around your neck, maybe that'll help. Before long, it'll be like, Alexa, why did I stand? Sorry, I oh, fuck you. <laughs> I can't believe I said it. I always fall for it. <laughs> We're going to have to just like shut her down during the podcast. <laughs> so the only um, pre-show talk or uh, post-mortem I have from last time was the Betsy Love from the Mississippi uh, uh, Woman's uh, Property Act of 1839, where she was the Chickasaw woman who mm-hmm. like sued, and we were like, "Yeah, woohoo, way to go, Betsy!" And then I like actually read the article, <laughs> and so the property in question, while that is all fantastic and definitely a great step, the property in question was actually an African American enslaved person named Tony, who Betsy had given given to her infant daughter as a gift. So that was the property uh, that they were, that she sued over um, after her husband died. So, so yes. yeah, it became much one steps forward, <laughs> 12 steps back, three steps back. Oh God. So Betsy. Yeah. The Jesus. real, the real story. But yeah, the patrons got an earful of that last week because we just kept on rolling. <laughs> we did. But the rest of you didn't. Because so. I was like, oh, shit. <clears throat> and also, I think the name of the town that I poorly pronounced uh, on the Gulf uh, near the Mississippi River 
and Chad said that's where still magnolias or something. Oh yeah, but then town. But did we correct it in the episode? I can't remember. I think we did. Okay. Oh, but now we were trying to not out Chad as not knowing what the town name oh, was. Oh, I'm sorry. That was totally me. <laughs> he was like, I can't. I, I can't be wrong about this. I'm talking this. about my Chad. He totally watches Still Magnolias. <laughs> all the things. My Chad doesn't watch anything. <laughs> I had to like introduce him to TV culture when we got married. Really? He never saw Jaws. He never, he, he never, those iconic movies that you grew up watching, like, you know, Wizard of Oz, Gone with the Wind, Jaws, things that come on like every year that mm-hmm. you always would get together and watch as a family. He saw none of that. I think it's funny that Jaws was the movie that you <laughs> get together and watch my as a family. family. Let me tell you, my family, we watched Jaws like all the Jaws, like one through 12, how many ever there was. <laughs> and then we always watched Grease. We watched yeah. Grease one and two and like totally know all the words, all the dance, <laughs> especially Grease two. For whatever reason, we totally got into Grease two. That's funny. Yeah. I think I've seen it, but I, I don't remember it's this, it. I don't know. We just all like really the songs stuck with us. Mm-hmm. And so, you know. Even my brother. I bet my, I could call up my brother right now, and he would be able to sing you the songs. Do the Greece hand dive. Oh, wait, that's Grease 1. Yeah, it was it was reproduction. They had the... I, I won't go into singing. I can sing it. I can sit here and sing all the songs right now. Um, come on, Patrice. Come yeah, on. Let's go. Right. That's all right. <laughs> I don't think we had, like, family movies. I watched movies by myself, like, over and over and over and over again. I don't know that we, I mean. But we were also the family that watched um, The Shining together, Salem's Lot. Oh, yeah. Um, Twilight Zone, Night Gallery. See, I wouldn't watch things with my, because my parents wanted to watch like evening show. Like I was, I think I said this before. I was afraid of Murder, She Wrote's opening credits when I was a kid. <laughs> I'm like, and it's not a joke. Like I was like, I, could, I couldn't even make it through like the little jaunty typewriter back song that's happening. <laughs> Couldn't do it. So nobody wanted to watch TV with me. I just watched like the cartoon version of Charlotte's Web like on repeat (laughs) for a year. That is horrible. Did you? I I cannot watch it without crying. Oh, it's sad. I cannot do it. I was a sad child. But then I watched like Watership Down. Oh, no. Over and over and over again. See, I was fucked up in the head. I like it was all those like weirdly dark, you know, children's movies. My mom had to That weren't really children's movies the theater with me when I was like two or three when we went and saw Bambi. Oh, Bambi was bad. like, you know, the mother dying the first, you know, two minutes of the show and I was done. And pretty much after like, I saw all the things that made you, you know, old yellow, fuck old yellow. Man. Yeah. <laughs> like after that, I got pissed off and I'm like, you motherfuckers are trying to make me cry. Oh yeah, you're right. And I'm not having it, so I refuse to watch any animal movie because there is going to be some point in the animal movie where they're going to almost die or die. Somebody's oh, yeah. going to die. It's fucking traumatizing. Oh, yeah. Um, especially for little kids. I mean, well, for anybody, but especially for little kids, and I resent that. And you know, I, I wish I you. had. I wish I had started resenting that. I think I became like an emo child because I really like uh, – gravitated towards those set because land before time in my head i would never watch that movie again now Mm -hmm. land before time i think was like the way that they killed the mother in land before time Uh. was super traumatic Mm -hmm. 
And it was so manipulative. Mm -hmm. And it was just painful. And I watched that movie a lot. I was like, I was a glutton for punishment. So I guess this is how you grow into an emo teenager is by watching just regular kids movies, you know? Like I told you, when when Abby used to watch um, Finding Nemo, the mm -hmm. first like she was what two i guess when she started yeah, watching why would it? you ever show a child somebody losing their parent i mean talk because about you the can hardly find a disney movie where it doesn't happen nightmare ever but yeah but yeah no she she kept on wandering around like she would wander around the kitchen and go coral like <laughs> and she doesn't realize how like how upsetting it is what she's saying she would do that and then she got into the prince of egypt and the only the only scene of that that she would, you know, pretend, you know, reconstruct, mm -hmm. she would pull a blanket over herself and lay on the floor. And I was like, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm the king's dead son. Oh. I was like, oh, my God, I'm raising a psycho. <laughs> and then she turned out better and the other one went psycho. Oh, man. I think it's just a phase. But, yeah, I remember the only the only like animal movie that I've watched with my son is when he was like maybe four or five and we watched Velveteen Rabbit mm -hmm. and I totally forgot about Velveteen Rabbit. And at the very end we were both just sobbing <laughs> and like going basically, why the fuck did we watch this? You know, mm -hmm. it was so sad. It was so sad. Yeah. My kids have picked up it. on the rage that you're talking about. Like mm -hmm. the, the, you know, why are you making me do this? I don't ever want to watch these again. Right. Because I tried to get them to watch Benji one time because I was like, oh, this will be good. Like, mm -hmm. Benji, I remember yeah, Benji from when animal, I was a kid. Animal movies are like fun and well, wholesome. And, and I, I always, you know, the number of times I've supposed to be learning the lesson that you should review these things before you introduce your kids to them because your memory of it is really, really not correct. Right. And so I was like, oh, Benji, I remember Benji. This is like one of those like hokey 70s, you know, mm -hmm. dog. I swear to God, we apparently there were like a billion iterations of Benji anyways, and this was a newer one. And it was like all about, it was the most manipulative movie. It was all about making you cry. It was like that there was no point to the torture they were putting you through. And the mm. girls are crying and they're like, why do we have to watch this movie? <laughs> so they don't like me to choose films anymore because they're just like, you don't do this right. <laughs> Like, I let's watch much, Harry Potter. Right, yeah. I'm much more of an action <clears throat> movie watcher myself. I enjoy them much better because there's no crying in action. Mm -hmm. I don't want to cry. Nope. <laughs> Shut <laughs> those emotions down. Shut them just down. Just eat those. Just eat it, on them. swallow it, and just let it fester. <laughs> That's how I roll. <clears throat> oh, oh, so let's talk about this Bloody Mary mix. This is my first Bloody Mary. My well, it's not my first, but um, I have never drunk this much Bloody Mary before because <laughs> I hate them. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and Courtney, Courtney made her own Bloody Mary mix. Yes, and, and brought it over for us, and it's actually really it was really cool. Well, the last time I, I'd never I'd never tried them because I knew like when I was younger I didn't like tomato juice because that's my parents that's all they drank was V8 really yeah I mean they were just like mega V8 people huh. and so I I couldn't Carbon. and they loved and of course they loved Bloody Marys but I was too young to try Bloody Mary but I hated <laughs> tomato juice so I was like there's no way I'm gonna drink that so the virgin Bloody Mary so, completely off the table completely off the table um I love all the things that go into a Bloody Mary, and I love tomatoes. So I'm like, why do I not love Bloody Marys? And I do. <laughs> I do love them. Thank See, you. See, she's delicious. magical. Bartender she Courtney. She is magic. 
Um, Saturday, yep, football Saturday and Bloody Marys. Uh, let's see. I don't have anything else. I don't think mm-hmm. chitter chatter. Oh, um, so by the time you hear this, we will have uh, finished our show at JSU Stone Center. Woo-hoo. And if you missed it. It was awesome. It was amazing. And it'll be on next week. Yes, it will be on next week. It's so weird talking in the future. And if you're a patron, uh, unless something goes uh, violently wrong, um, (laughs) we will. will, Oh, my God. Now something bad can't happen. um, We should have a full video of the show um, available for patrons at some point. So be looking for that. It's going to be a full show. We are having a pre-show. We're going to have this incredible video that we're going to put together this afternoon mm-hmm. that I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. It's going to work and it's going to be amazing. Yes, it really is. It really, really, it really is. is. And then we're going to, uh, you know, record it, video it and have it online. So for $3 is all it takes for you to like get all this amazing content. And if nothing else, just totally laugh your ass off at us. Yeah. Because that's what we're here for. This is what we're here for. And all the secret videoing of <clears throat> us during podcasts, <laughs> by us, I mean me, <laughs> doing impressions of Muppets, <laughs> you are missing that. Courtney's like, what? Were they videoed? No. I, <laughs> last, last week, uh, as a like current time, <laughs> she was talking about the Dark Crystal and she was saying why she didn't like Muppets. And she was doing this like motion and they couldn't see it. So I took a video and I posted it on Patreon. So I like Muppets, but I'll... <clears throat> Muppets. Muppets. I like Muppets, but I don't like scary Muppets because it's like the movement. I feel like I have to justify this. The movement. <laughs> She's like, I don't oh. hate Muppets. Of the Muppets <laughs> being scary, it's just, un- I mean, if they like floated or like teleported or something other if they than teleported. do the little Muppet bop <laughs> while they're walking, I just, I'm just like, you lost me. Mm. I can't take you seriously. Mm. Go tell funny waka waka jokes. Mm. You know why that's, I, I like the, um, I'm going to. I have to stand up for oh, the mystics it. in in the dark crystal because they were body worn puppets, so they didn't do that they didn't do bopping thing. Yeah. But they were they were worn by like dancers and movement specialists, and it's really pretty amazing. Like if you look, see, this is the part of puppetry that I think is awesome is when they do innovative things like this, right? And create these mechanisms and. I'm fascinated by how like the human body can fit into these yeah, costumes no, and how they too. change their movement to be something else. It's like so cool. You know, I think <clears> maybe <throat> what it is is that <laughs> that it's our treatise for and against the Muppets. <laughs> it's the uh, <laughs> Courtney's like thumbs down, thumbs down. Yeah, I don't know. I just didn't. Maybe the style. I didn't like the style. I mean, I liked the ones that looked like vultures. I thought the they Skeksis. were pretty, yeah, pretty cool. But like all the others, I'm just like, you know, I'm done. Well, nobody really likes the Gelflings. It's yeah. a, it's a poorly secretive secret. Okay. Like, nobody likes the Gelflings. All right. All right. Get, <laughs> anyway, we should, we should probably get started. I'm gonna get hate mail. <laughs> um, okay, Courtney's like, can we move on, please? <laughs> 
All right. So uh, the only other thing we want to talk about is once again, October 26th, we mm-hmm. are doing a live show for Woo-hoo. Halloween at the Goat House Beer Garden yeah. in Montgomery. Tickets are on sale now. They have been at this time of this recording have been on sale for um, patrons and are available to patrons and people in the fan group. And we will be releasing like the link to buy to just about everybody else um, shortly after this. So the seating is limited. Right. Um, Ticket price includes some pretty awesome stuff. It's all in the Eventbrite information. So um, and it's a dress up. I mean, you don't have to dress up, but it's a dress up. We're dressing up. We are dressing up, and you're gonna have to guess what we are yeah and we may have a giveaway there may be something like that yeah we're thinking like a swag raffle or something Mm -hmm. like that and um yeah so anyway come hang out with us it's a cool place and we'll be putting more stuff out about it for sure and that said shall we yes i'm first Mm -hmm. how long is yours today Uh okay cool this works out well um all right i'm telling the story of florence maybrick This is a pause for. Ooh. Wow. Yeah, I know. Sorry. It's nothing. I was it, chomping it, on pickle. It's not. It's it's like nobody knows who this is. I think unless you live inside a very tiny bubble of um, a certain type of investigative. Nah. Anyway. Oh, okay. So, she was born Florence no. Chandler. Right. Um, known as Flory, she was a daughter <clears throat> of a banker and a former mayor of Mobile. So she was born in Mobile. She was raised in moneyed society. In Mobile, Alabama. Um, Her father died um, right before she was born. And her mother um, remarried, I guess, a couple times. But in 1872, she married a baron um, who was a a cavalry officer in the German army. And so... Interesting. After... Yeah. What? Living in the South? Um, well, I'm not really sure how that part happened. Okay. I don't know the history of how her mom met her stepfather, but it was 1872. So I don't know. I mean, why the German cavalry would be in Alabama. I'm not sure. Okay. But I'm curious. I do know that she had a lot of money and she was well-traveled. So, yeah. So she became a baroness and, um... In 1872, the family was like kind of spending part of their time overseas with him, but they were still resident in Mobile. So they were Mobile family. Mm -hmm. Um, So when she turns 18 years old, Flory is rich. She's pretty. um, And her mom says, um, you've you've done, you know, Southern society. I'm going to take you abroad and we're going to go see the greatest sights of Europe and everything. So she boards a steamer headed for Liverpool with her mom, the Baroness. And Flory is, um, she's strawberry blonde. She's young. She's pretty. She's probably like, she's an Alabama belle. She's five, three. It's like the perfect height for a woman to be petite. (laughs) If they're skinny, beautiful height. Nope, 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 nope. Don't have to be skinny. Still the best height. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, you're taller so, than that. She's, no, I'm not. Really? <laughs> All right. I'm Sorry. short. I'm petite. Um, and so she's a woman in the 1800s. She's an Alabama belle. She's on the steamer, and she's probably like just like laser vision looking for a man. Oh, right. You right. think like 18 years old, going to Europe? I know she's already getting old. Right. <laughs> so she's on the boat, and she meets this guy named James Maybrick. Mm. He's 23 years older than her. Oh, my God. 23 years older than her. So he's just over 40. Um, Mm. He's a wealthy cotton merchant 
from Liverpool. He owns his own company along with one of his brothers. And so because he does cotton, he goes back and forth from the South to Britain a lot. England. I don't know how to say this stuff. England. Right. And um, so he spends a lot of time each year in Norfolk, Virginia. And they start hitting it off on the ship, on the steamer. So much so that other people on the ship are like, um... Get a room. She's 18. <laughs> and you're alone together all the time. And this is sort of yeah. either funny or disturbing, right. depending on who you ask. It yeah. was like Victorian society. So the was it prudish? Yeah, pretty, or at least gossipy. Gossipy. Because it's like all that so often, like especially, I think maybe... Southern society and British society may have been similar in the Victorian era in this way that like they're prudish, mm -hmm. except they really get their rocks off on it. Mm -hmm. It's like they're prudish, but they really want to know all the things. Oh, right. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's what appearance. runs it's society. Appear yeah, it was appearances. It's appearances, right? Mm -hmm. So um, they're all chit-chatting about this. And um, by the time, you know, it takes like less than a week to get from um they actually launched the boat from New York, but it takes less than a week to get to Liverpool. And by the time they get off, these two are already talking about getting married, um, which they do. So in 1881, Flory marries James Maybrick, and they move back together to Virginia for a couple of years, and everything is going fine. Um, they have one child, James, uh, in 1882, and then the cotton business kind of takes a dive. And in 1884... He has to resign from the local like cotton exchange in Norfolk. And so they there's no point in them being in Virginia anymore. So they all move to England. And um they live in this mansion called Battle Creek House in a Liverpool suburb, and they have another baby. Gladys is born in 1885. Um so once they get to England, things get a little different. Um Flory is she's She's digging the British social scene. I know she's already been introduced to it a bunch of times. And she's, you know, she likes being moneyed and in society. Um, and she's going out to be seen by people. Da, 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 da. But she's like, she's, again, she's 20 years younger than him. She's an American. Everybody thinks she's a gold digger. Mm -hmm. Everything she does, people kind of look askance at, you know, mm -hmm. it's like she can't probably do anything right. Mm -hmm. So most people just don't like her. Right. And, um... James's older brother, Michael, really, really doesn't like her. Mm. And um, he's a famous performer. He went by the name of Stephen Adams, I think, was his performing name. He was a singer. He wrote this famous song called Holy City that they still perform. It's like a religious sort of song. Huh. Um, but um, he was the head of the family. And some say that he like made a move on Flory once mm, and was rebuffed. Mm -hmm. Other people say that he was gay. Most people say he was gay. But either way, he hated her. She called him a brute she's like he was cold and unemotional and just mean and mm -hmm. she didn't like him and so he basically hated her plus she's not seeing much of james now that they're back in england so it turns out james has had something on the side for a long time like he's been sure. visiting brothels in norfolk this entire time and she wasn't quite aware of what was going on mm -hmm. and now he's got lots of side pieces here in england and one of them whose name is Sarah Robertson, lives in Whitechapel, which is only about a three-hour train ride away. And they've been together so long that they are officially common-law married. Like, she goes by his last name, and he has five kids by her. Damn. And so... Um, 
It also turns out that when the cotton trade goes south and you keep on living the lifestyle that you're accustomed Uh, to, mm -hmm. creditors start banging on your door at all hours. And so Flory starts being afraid of opening the door and writes to her mother like, we're in pretty dire straits here. You know, Mm -hmm. everything I do is, you know, being taken from me because we've got nothing at this you know it's really going down fast and side pieces cost money side pieces and that's the thing is he's paying 100 pounds a year to this woman and her family in Whitechapel and won't let Flory spend any money yes Yes. his family his children Mm -hmm. and um and Flory is finding out about this and you know she's being restricted with her spending and here he is sending a hundred pounds a year to this other family. And, um, she's, her family's got money, but she hasn't inherited yet. So I'm imagining her mother is sending her some, Mm -hmm. but you know, she, she doesn't have the bulk of her inheritance. Um, turns out also Virginia has given James malaria when he was there. And during the civil war, this is when he got it, you know, Mm -hmm. malaria, yellow fever, everybody gets the things, mosquitoes hate us. And the doctors treated him with quinine like they do, which I guess they, I think they still do for malaria, but they also gave him something called Fowler's medicine because the quinine wasn't working. Fowler's medicine is arsenic and strychnine. Oh my God. And it was Pretty commonly used in the 1800s. Because it's going to kill everything, including it's you. It's basically, and I didn't realize. Uh, so arsenic was used for like every fucking thing. Apparently, the queen used arsenic on her face as a whitener. I heard that 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 arsenic was like in powder or powder. They as used a powder. It as, as a powder. As a makeup. yeah, as like a face powder, and it's also used as like a complexion treatment. So even Flory, if she couldn't, you know, she. If she couldn't get like a prescription for arsenic to be used as a face tonic, she would take, she would go to the chemist and buy flypaper, which also had arsenic in it because everything in the world fucking has arsenic in it in the 1800s. Oh my God. And she would soak it in these dishes around the house and then she would extract the arsenic from it and use it as a tonic for her complexion, um, which was a really common I mean, lots of women did this. Um, well, I guess it's no different than Botox. I mean, Botox is toxic. Yeah, that's right? true. I mean, it's it's botulin, what botulinum, botulism. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like a, it's it's bad it's, for you. Yeah, right. it's a toxin. Um, so, uh, so James has been introduced to this medicine and got hooked on it back in the Civil War, and so he's constantly using arsenic he's what they call an arsenic eater weird what is it about is it addictive oh yes really arsenic is extremely addictive and apparently and courtney says does it get you high according to it's it's considered an aphrodisiac so basically taking arsenic on a regular basis for him it was a high it was like cocaine mixed with viagra basically for him oh damn and um so there was so much arsenic prescribed to this guy that there were like the people who worked in the house saw like just little piles of white powder all over the place all the time and the city chemist who he get, went to on a regular basis later said that he had supplied Maybrick with quantities of poison over a lengthy period. A search of Battle Creek's house later, or yeah, that's the name of the house, later turned up enough arsenic to kill at least 50 people. Damn. So he is like a total junkie. Wow. And in this environment, um, you know, Flory's miserable. Her husband's an addict. You know, he's an asshole. She has no money. She goes out and finds a lover, too. Part of it is, like, revenge for, you know, Mm -hmm. if you do it, why can't I? Right. And part of it is she's just fucking miserable, and she doesn't have any friends because everybody hates hates her. her. Right. And so, you know, she goes out and finds a lover. First, unfortunately, it's James's brother, Edwin. And then that goes away. 
and she the, um, the older brother no the younger brother the younger brother mm-hmm. okay the older brother is michael who owned oh, like the, the head of the family right who, who hates okay. her hates her okay got it. and then the second one is um james's friend alfred Briarly. and they kind of keep on a tryst for a good little while apparently um <clears throat> So Flory is pissed off about all this stuff. They're having sh- this affair. And then um, he strung out on drugs all the time, starts also going into like just violent rages and he starts beating her. Mm. And um, so they have, they start having really public arguments. So at one point they were at the horse track one day and he sees her talking to Briarly, um, like kind of just down the way. And he fucking curses her out and gives her a black eye in front of everybody else there. Wow. And um, it's like 1800s. It's like Victorian England. So everybody's like, did you hear something? Like, <laughs> like oh, <laughs> go horse, go. I mean, so they're like, how's the weather? They just, you know, everybody how kind of looks. How embarrassing for you. How embarrassing for you. Exactly. <laughs> and um, so apparently she has talked divorce. You know, Flory's talked divorce, but she's, you know, she's pretty sure in this environment and this place and time she would lose her kids whatever money she does have would be gone Mm -hmm. and she would lose any kind of respect she had in society on top of all that so she's like that's really not a realistic option for me right um but in 1889 james starts to get really sick and they call it dyspepsia so i guess I guess that's like gastroenteritis or whatever, like stomach something, right? Dyspepsia. I don't that know. Sounds yeah. That sounds, sounds right. Stomachy. <laughs> I didn't look it up, so I don't know. Pepto. Yeah, Pepto Bismuth. That's why I was thinking. So it's got to be. That's got to be right. Yeah. Um, so he goes to the chemist and he gets a prescription. Of course, it keeps on getting worse, and they're like, "Okay, you know what will work to help this? Cyanide." So it's like, man, there is... Well, he's probably got a tolerance for it. Oh, Jesus, yeah. I mean, he's got to, because he's been taking it all the time. Mm -hmm. And so cyanide doesn't help either. And um, he becomes bedridden, and a nurse comes in to care for him, and she sees Florence's flypapers soaking around the house. And she's like, well, that's a little weird. Mm -hmm. She starts listening to the house staff. Everybody hates Flory. And um, noticing that Flory is helping to administer medicines to her husband. And she's like... Oh my God, she's poisoning him. Like he's he's dying because she's poisoning him. But how can they say that if he's taken it willingly on his All own? All his life. Right. And um and you know, there was a story that um she told at one point that um the medicine that he was being given by the chemist that, you know, they had already decided wasn't really working. He, when she would go and minister to him when he was bedridden, he would say, Can you just put a couple of a couple of grains of arsenic in this so that I can get a hit. Like, mm-hmm. give me a, give me a break. Right. And she does admit that she did that at his request a couple of times. Right. But I mean, he's always taken arsenic. Right. You know, it's not, she's not poisoning him with arsenic. Right. And, um, but people start saying right. this and before long, big brother, Michael, gets wind of all this stuff mm-hmm. and he comes swooping in. He basically bans Flory from the sick room. And then he has James rewrite his will to knock her out of it completely. Whatever she was in it. I don't know that she was in it anyways, right. but she's beside herself. So she writes a letter to her lover, Alfred and gives it to her little, little daughter, like gives it to Gladys to take to the post office with her nurse as just like a, okay, well Maybe you can get out errand. of the house. Mm-hmm. This will be an errand for you. And it probably, you know, avoids some, you right. know, issues. So on the way, Gladys drops it in a mud puddle and nurse is like, Oh, this is all dirty. I oh, could return look. it, but look, it, it happens to be open. open. <laughs> and she reads the entire thing. Mm. 
And part of it says, I can't answer your letter fully today, my darling, but relieve your mind of all fear of discovery now and in the future. Um, Maybrick has been delirious since Sunday, and I know that he is perfectly ignorant of everything now. Mm. So it's like... It's a confession. It's it's a confession, and it's like a he can't know anything now. Right. Because he's, so it sounds a little ominous, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, the nurse runs back and tells everybody this, including Michael. James dies May 11th, 1889. Flory's asleep in another room. And when she wakes up, she wakes up because Michael and Edwin are shaking and cursing her violently. And um, he puts her, Michael puts her under house arrest, basically. Doesn't let her leave her room. Doesn't let her go to the funeral. And gives orders to everybody in the house that she is not allowed to see her children at all. And the last time, I mean, that's basically the last time she sees her children alone is the, the day that her husband dies. Um so uh, Michael calls in the police days later. She's been on house arrest and they do like a, basically an inquest in her bedroom. Like they come to her and do all this and they arrest her and take her to jail. And she said, I, I didn't kill my husband, but they're, they arrest her for murder. Right. So she's, she goes to trial and this, um, the judge in the trial is this guy, James Fitz, James Fitz, James, Stephen. Um, <laughs> now this guy was deemed, okay. He went to the asylum, I think maybe two years after this. And he had already been deemed mentally unbalanced, incompetent to sit as a judge on a trial when what? a human life was in the balance. He, everybody knew he was already crazy oh, and he was God. still sitting this case. So, um, Flory had no chance of impartiality. Poor Flory. And so the jury was completely men. Of course. And, um, you know, there were no, and most of them were illiterate. You know, they, there were a lot of biases against a young American woman Mm -hmm. and the, they, um, there were sensational reports in the media all over the place. It was one of those, you know, they just couldn't get away from that. James brothers, all the servants in the house, all the doctors, they all testified against her. And, um, doctors were covering their asses there. Exactly. And the big mistake, unfortunately, is that she told the truth in the court and admitted to having an affair because the minute she admitted that she had an affair, even though they had already presented all this evidence that he had been Mm -hmm. keeping women and had an entirely different family that he Mm -hmm. was supporting. She said that she had an affair and immediately the trial became about her infidelity and not about the murder at all. So the entire thing was like, you know, it's, you know, men had this and it was like, Ooh, you've got, you know, Mm -hmm. you've got another partner. And for her, it's like the worst thing a woman could possibly do. And so other women spat on her in the courtroom. Um, The judge said, if you're admitting to adultery, you're no better than a murderess anyways. So he didn't care anymore if she had done it, you know, and he was the last one to speak at the trial, which I guess was kind of unusual that he did this like tirade closing argument. The judge did a closing argument against her. And because of that, 35 minutes after the jury was excused to deliberate, they found her guilty of murder and sentenced her to hang. Oh, so, um, because she was an American citizen, the U S papers just went crazy over this because they're like you can't do this right you know this is you know so and you know honestly the the papers in england thought that this was a complete travesty of justice right nobody thought that this was okay 
And there was one thing that I read that said the Yankee Nation, the Yankee Nation, Yankee Nation. was outraged by the verdict um, and the incompetent judge. And the fact that he turned it into a moral thing about her infidelity. Um, <clears throat> so there were a flood of petitions from Americans and Britons. Prominent Three American presidents spoke on her behalf wow. to the the British government appealing for her release. And because of all the hubbub that they created four days before she was scheduled to hang, her sentence was commuted to penal servitude for life. What? So because of the publicity that the trial was ridiculous, she didn't get hanged. Right. But there is no criminal court of appeals at this time in Britain. So there is no constitutional way to reopen the trial. And they didn't, what is it when they like, she gets to go back home, kind of, what is that called though? Like when you're accused extradition? of extradition? Yeah, extradition. I guess extradited. not. I guess not because he was a British citizen uh, maybe. I don't know. But this was, um, so there was no criminal court of appeal and there, uh, let's see, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, anyway. There was no way for her to appeal. Right. Um, so she served 15 years, and the case kind of faded away a little bit. Um, but then a letter arrived to, I can't remember, some British politician mm -hmm. um, saying that it was a confession from a guy named Henry Wilson who said that he and a staff person in the house had tampered with the contents of the bottles meant for James. And um, the the point was to poison James and to frame Florence. What the fuck? And because of this... What did this girl ever do to them? I know. And that's like, there's nothing. I, I can't find anything about I mean, what she, she did to anybody. Bitch? Was even she Even so. Even if she was, right? So because of this, like the interest in the case got reinvigorated and actually it got to be such a big deal over such a long time. Florence Maybrick is actually even referenced in James Joyce's book, Ulysses. Molly Bloom talks about the Maybrick case in Ulysses. It's such a big deal. Oh, wow. Um, but um, so they did start to reinvestigate because of this letter and given all the pressure and um, the new examination of evidence showed that it couldn't even be proved that he had died of arsenic poisoning. Oh. So they couldn't even say there was a murder at all. Right. And even though they proved that there was more than a shadow of a doubt that there was not even a crime, they still could not get her released because Queen Victoria thought she was a wicked woman who had like cheated on her husband and wouldn't let her go because she would have to be pardoned. That was the only constitutional way that they could change what she had to do. Like the lifetime of penal servitude could not go away unless she had a, a pardon from the queen. Mm. The queen died in 1901. And so the king that came after finally released her in 1904. And by that time, um, she there was a newspaper reporter who went in and saw her a few years before this. And she was so wrung out. I, I guess so. I mean, she was in solitary confinement for the first nine months that she was in jail at all, which was a, one of the worst things. And then, you know, had to do the servitude for like, she was in there for 15 years and she hadn't done anything or it hadn't been proven that she'd done anything. Right. And um, so she was all nerves. You know, they wouldn't let her touch anyone. And so the newspaper reporter tried to shake her hand and she just like shook her head and I mean, she was pale. She was nervous. Uh, she was just broken. 
Mm. But she was definitely of her wits, you know. Mm. I mean, she wasn't, like, crazy or anything. But she was, man. She was just fucked up by all of this. Well, yeah. Um, They quietly shuffled her off to a convent in Britain for six months. And then she decided to go back to America. Um, The is interesting, though, because she her case was one of a couple that was a catalyst for um, criminal justice reform in Britain that um, in 1907, they finally established a court of criminal appeals Mm -hmm. and it was partly because of this case. Right. Um, So she changed the law in, in England, partly, unfortunately, Unfortunately. she would rather not have. I'm I'm sure. sure. Right. So she returns to the U S she is socially outcast because even though the whole thing she's gotten released and, um, you know, nobody wants to remarry someone who might have murdered her husband. Um, she's more of like a novelty mm-hmm. item than she is like a human being to most mm-hmm. people because they've just seen her in the papers all the time. Um, so she wrote a memoir called My 15 Years Lost. And it was basically the only way that she could support herself. She went around and did lectures on criminal justice and corruption with her memoir for a couple of years. Oh, good for her. But it was really... She was having to relive it every fucking day. And she was getting paid for these. So finally, she just gets tired of it. She moves to Connecticut. She starts going under the name Chandler again. And in um, 1941, she dies in Connecticut, um, completely unknown. They just called her the cat lady. Um, And it wasn't until a neighbor was going through her things after after her death, they found a black dress with a tag in the back that said Florence Maybrick. And that was the first time the people who lived near her in Connecticut Put knew it. who she was. Yeah. Um, but that's not quite the end of this story. Oh. So in 1992, um, a Liverpool scrap metal dealer um, said that he had been given a journal by a friend of his in a pub, thinking that um, – that he would be interested in this. That sounds a little shady. And um, the the friend of his that gave it to him had been working at this Battle Creek house or, that um, the Maybricks used to live in mm-hmm. and uh, doing a renovation. And he said he's found this journal under the floorboards. Ooh. So he hands it over and the journal ends with the words, I give my name that all know of me. So history do tell what love can do to a gentleman born. Yours truly, Jack the Ripper. And they quickly attributed this journal to James Maybrick. And he, it described what? an enraged addict, a man who was so incensed by his wife's infidelity that he ran around Whitechapel for a year, brutally murdering every whore he could find. What? So the journal of Jack the Ripper. Supposedly. Supposedly. Is, was considered by some immediately to be a hoax, that right. there was no way that this could be James Maybrick. But the name, I mean, and it included, though, it was clearly meant to be James Maybrick. Right. So it was more a matter of the authenticity of the journal. Like mm-hmm. it was written because it had his brother's names in it. The circumstances were right. Mm-hmm. So they were definitely pointing the finger at him. Mm-hmm. And um, the timing was all right. There was something else that didn't help. Like there was a gold watch that was discovered like the one that Maybrick wore. And oddly enough, this happens at the same time that this journal gets discovered. Hmm. That's inscribed with the initials of the victims and the words, I am Jack inside. Um, 
that sounds like total bullshit to yeah. me. But they originally they just said the diary is a forgery. Like they talked about publishing it and then the publisher backed out. And I, I think it did eventually, at least parts of it got published. But in 2017, several researchers announced that the paper and the ink did put it at at the late um at late 1800s mm-hmm. writing. So his confirmed kills were all in 1888. And so it's it might have been written. It sounds like it right. may actually have been written at the right time. Right. So if it was a if it was a hoax, it, it was, was like an immediate hoax right. with a lot of detail, with a lot of tone, with a lot of effort put into it. Right. Um, and people always wondered why the Ripper stopped killing after 1888, and James Maybrick died, died in 1889. Wow. So it's possible that. Interesting. That was also the end of Jack the Ripper. I did not see that coming. I know. But that's how I found the story. Actually, there was a podcast called The Serpents of Bienville that I don't think is is active anymore. Mm-hmm. But they did little short vignettes on stories like this, and I found this through them. Wow. But um, I, if you if you are a patron and you stick around for the Patreon, I have, like, clearly... It's Jack the fucking Ripper. I mean, the rabbit hole I went down is interminable. So if you want to hear some more things, there are actually... Um, in 2015, a guy released a book um, called They All Love Jack that talks about the fact that he is pretty sure that it was actually Michael Maybrick who um, not only was Jack the Ripper with with a lot of evidence but also who created that diary to frame frame his his brother brother. (gasps) because that would make sense with the timing if it was written at that time Mm -hmm. if it's actually written at that time it could have been Michael that did it and and the gung-ho-ness for going after his wife Mm -hmm. kind of thing too Mm -hmm interesting so stick around if you want for patreon because i've got more i've got more yay (laughs) all right y'all we'll be right back the goat house beer garden in montgomery is our favorite place to go when we're in alabama's capital whether it's to do a show to visit a dilapidated movie set or to flip off the governor's mansion (laughs) so i was talking to james and he was telling me that the goat house highlights local artists singer songwriters makers chefs brewers and entrepreneurs of all types just like the strange south Mm -hmm. big supporter They intentionally support only original content because they believe that communities begin, grow, and sustain when creatives and entrepreneurs thrive. It's a great atmosphere, great company, and a lot of fun. And it's less than 10 minutes from Hank Williams' grave, which is haunted. So next time you go to say hi to old Hank, stop by the Goat House Beer Garden. And we're back. Do, do, do. Do, do, do. Okay. So, 2017, mm-hmm. 36% of Atlanta was classified as a food desert. Oh. So, a lot, and, and I remember talking to my friend about this that lives over in Atlanta, and she's like, the nearest grocery store is like 10, 15 miles from where I live. Mm. So, they classified being in a food desert in like a city uh population of not having or having to travel more than half a mile to get fresh fruits and vegetables oh my god but it's like living a lot further in atlanta and anytime that you live like in a rural community yeah in the south 
Um, you're going to be traveling, you know, 10, 15 miles just to get to civilization and maybe a grocery store. Yeah. And it's um, probably like for Ritz crackers and right. tuna. It's not for fresh fruits and vegetables. <laughs> yes, exactly. And and so most of the people, they'll go to a convenience store to buy whatever food yeah. that they need. And like, it's not fresh produce. It's not fresh vegetables. Mm-hmm. And so there's been like a lot of efforts in um, Atlanta to you know, do community gardens and stuff like that. But Atlanta has had a long-standing tradition of nicknaming the locations of their Kroger grocery stores. <gasps> so there's Disco Kroger. I know what you're doing. <laughs> there's Kosher Kroger. And the most famous or infamous of all is Murder Kroger. Murder Kroger. So today I'm going to talk about Murder Kroger. I also know about Disco Kroger. No, really? A little bit, but okay. I don't remember a whole lot. Anyway, go ahead. Okay. So, um, Murder Kroger is the Kroger that was located um, on Ponce de, Leon, uh, Ponce de Leon Avenue. And right now, if you go to Ponce City Market, it was located right across the street from it. Mm. It opened in 1984. And before Ponce City Market, in, in that area, you know, really developed um, before the hipsters got there. <laughs> uh, there were like, and there may still be, I didn't really look into this too much. There were two music venues, a liquor store, and a famously sketchy yet endearing strip club. Oh, I like famously sketchy yet endearing. And we'll have to look Claremont up that strip. Is it Claremont Lounge? Yes. <gasps> yes, it is still yes. there. And it is apparently famously sketchy and endearing. <laughs> and so, and so, but also the Kroger was near abandoned train tracks that went through Atlanta. And of course, it had like the eclectic clientele that would like be in the area like you can imagine it was a common pit stop between parties mm-hmm. in the area and they say that you could buy anything frozen or refrigerated um at your own risk Ew. so it, it was really not it was not a safe part of town it was not a well-maintained kroger mm-hmm. um it was it was sketchy mm-hmm and so in 1991, Damien Parker, who also goes by DJ Hype King, was 19, and he and his cousin were walking through uh, the Kroger parking lot to go to Kroger to grab something to eat. His cousin, Cynthia uh, Priolu, Priolu, was 25 at the time. So they were walking through the parking lot, fisting to go in, and a car approached from behind and the the driver having plenty of room wanted them and Cynthia was on the outside wanted you know her to move out of the way so he could drive by her and of course she didn't move so he bumped her mm. with his car and she turned around and grabbed her pepper spray and sprayed the driver for being a dick well he reached into his glove compartment and ended up shooting her in the leg and the stomach and mm. in the face oh and um, and uh, her cousin, Damien, who witnessed this, he said, basically, he's like, I remember looking at him as he drove off. It's like he had done this a thousand times before. He didn't screech his tires or anything. Oh, my God. He said he just drove off as cool as can be. 
So she was still alive when the ambulance came, but she died later that night, and her killer was never identified or captured. So that was like the first, um, you know, big news coverage of an incident happening there in that Kroger. A few years later, in 2002, Elizabeth Williams Foz was... Faz, Faz, it's F A A S. Faz was working one night um, at Kroger, and she was pulling into the back entrance of the store, and she smelled this overwhelming stench of what she thought was actually a dumpster full of expired meat. Oh no! And later on, she found out that a woman reported to the police the same strange odor, but it was coming from a car parked in the murder Kroger parking lot. And she's found that they found a dead body in the back of a truck and not back of a truck in the back of a car. And this one's really weird because they never publicly identified the man. They never like said who he was or how it happened or who possibly was his killers. And I went to the, the newspaper source uh, month subscription that we have. I could not find any articles whatsoever about this happening in 2002 is just like it didn't happen. Hmm. Nothing was mentioned. And, and when you read about like murder Kroger, Kroger and all the things that happened, this is like no details were ever released about this. So it's just really weird, really hmm. sketchy um, happening. However, you do not want to Google body found in back of car in Atlanta. Oh, God. Because it's shocking. Uh, (laughs) how often that happens oh no yeah it's not cool um so they didn't find who that was or who did that uh in 2012 a 20 year old was waiting to be buzzed in the ford factory lofts on ponce de leon avenue and the lofts shared the parking lot there with kroger and this was like five in the afternoon and uh he was approached by a man wearing camouflage pants and the video surveillance that they have, like they have a video of the whole incident showed the suspect attempting to, or the guy that came up to him attempting to grab a package from Lowry's grasp. And he was like a, I think he was a student there at Georgia, one of the colleges there in Atlanta, um, ended up, he shot him in the upper chest and uh, killed him pretty much, you know, for whatever reason. And I started reading up on, they caught the guy that did this. And actually it was two guys. There was a driver in a BMW and this guy that hopped out and was grabbing the package. And then I guess when he fought back, he turned around and shot him. But I don't know what the package was in the package or anything like that. But it come to find out that the guy who shot Lowry actually went to middle school with him in the area. Oh, my God. So he kind of knew him already, and it was weird. But the guy was caught. His accomplice was caught, and I think he's facing life in prison. Oh, Alexa is randomly talking to us about the state of Washington. Oh, my goodness. No. No. We are going to turn our legs off next time. So this Ford factory lofts uh, pretty much, you know, as the area 2012 area is starting to be built up, they're starting to like renovate and do new things. Um, Kroger 
you know, by this time, Kroger is definitely known as the murder Kroger. Yeah. That's what everybody in the neighborhood refers it to because of everything that happens there. And so Kroger's trying to change its image, obviously, because you don't want to be known as the murder Kroger. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and so at this time also, they're, you know, they've taken the abandoned railroad tracks and they've pulled them up and they've paved them. And it's like this citywide project that Atlanta has going on. It's called the Beltline. Oh, yeah. And the Beltline is like walking and biking paths to mm-hmm. provide alternative uh, transportation to people who are sick or fighting Atlanta traffic. Mm-hmm. And they ultimately are going to try to connect 45 in-town neighborhoods in a 22-mile loop um, that will be used, you know, uh, for multi-use trails, modern streetcars, and parks. So it's like this huge undertaking. Oh, the guy that was murdered, Lowry, that was murdered, he's a Georgia Tech student, I believe. Mm. But this concept, the Beltway, or the Beltline, um, was conceived first in 1999 by uh, Ryan Gravel, who was the Georgia, a Georgia Tech student, and it kind of became a grassroots effort, and the community and locals and local politicians picked it up and to make it a thing. So it's like really happening. So they've paved it so people can, you know, easily travel, and they Kroger tried to change its name to Beltline Kroger. Mm-hmm. But... Everybody in the neighborhood, everybody yeah, that knows Kroger. It's the murder Kroger. It's, it's murder Kroger. And about this time, too, so let's see, Lowry was 2012. Around the same time, um, Pont City Market was being developed. And if you don't know what Pont City Market is, they took, and it's kind of been a trend around here, like in the larger cities, of going in and taking really large buildings that had been abandoned or weren't used or, you know, were abandoned and then being reused, but not to their full capacity and renovating them. So Pont City Market was developed um, around this time, and it's like this mixed-use development um, in the Sears and Robux building there in Atlanta. And it was used... After the Sears and Robux, I think they used it for like a city hall south, I think is what they called it. But it's basically food courts or food hall, boutique, um, shishi, offices, shops and whatnot. And then you have uh, apartment and condo living above. And it's like really huge. I think they say that it covers 16 acres. Really? Yeah. It's, Damn. It's like really big. It's it was. One I was of, like, we've been there, but yeah, it's I one didn't of, picture it that big in my head. It's one of the largest by volume in the southeast uh, U.S. So Pont City Market's being developed at this time. Murder Kroger's still over there. They got the belt line, so they're trying to like, you know, revitalize the neighborhood. Uh, and and sometimes, I mean, when this goes in and happens, this happens a lot where they go into the poor areas where people have lived all their lives and they start driving up home Mm -hmm. prices and so all of this is happening and you know the area still kind of has a bad reputation and uh i think pont city market off opened in 2014 to kind of give you like a time scale of when this happened and i think 2016 conan o'brien went to atlanta or, or his team 
went to Atlanta and they did like a blog post or they did a little thing on Murder Kroger. And he said from condom wrappers in the parking lot to unrefrigerated crab legs in the back, Murder Kroger Kroger did not disappoint. (laughs) So with all this revitalization of that area going on, uh, there was a contract, you know, they like, we need to just renovate Kroger. The people... Kroger company or whatever said we just need to like give it a facelift you know have it kind of blend in with what the area is starting to look like now and so in 2015 Alabama man uh, Josh Ritchie who was 38 he was a superintendent for the construction company that was going in there and renovating Kroger he was in the store and they he looked out and he spotted somebody in his company pickup truck like in the truck trying like rummaging around mm-hmm. and so he approached uh, the truck and the man inside like pulled a gun and shot him through the window possibly with his own gun they said that there was a gun in the glove compartment box there and so he was rummaging around he found the gun uh Richie came upon him, you know, asked him what the fuck he was doing, probably, and the guy just shot him. Oh, God. Uh, hit him in the chest, and it killed him. And then the two suspects that were trying to steal the gun and or car fled. They found those suspects as well, and I believe they were accused um, and sentenced. And so I think that was really the last <sighs> big uh, Beltline murder Kroger incident that happened before they they actually went and toured down the Kroger yeah so in October because this got bad juju yeah yeah so in October uh 27th 1916 there was actually a vigil at the Kroger parking lot wait 1916 sorry 2016 (laughs) thank you 2016 there was a vigil uh at Murder Kroger right the night before they were going to tear it down. It was near Halloween because now it's become like this cult oh, thing. Yeah. Everybody's caught onto it. There's like a song about it. There's t-shirts where it, if you don't know what the Kroger grocery store is, it's like, it's got this very distinct like type logo. And so they, yeah, loopy and it's blue. And so there's, there's actually t-shirts out there that says murder, but it's done in the typeface <laughs> of the Kroger. Oh God! Um, yeah, so there's a lot of people that kind of went and ran with it, and and you know some of it's pretty distasteful and stuff. But uh, <laughs> but about 200 people came to like pay their final respects or just to see the sights at at this vigil before they were tearing it down. And a lot of people wore the tees that had the logo on it. Uh, some people were, were like had candles and craft beer cans and were holding it up. And I don't know the singing kumbaya. I don't know, <laughs> but they were actually a lot of people came there and like shared stories about some of the wild coming of age, you know, tales that they Yikes. had. And one guy shouted, "I lost my virginity in this parking lot." <laughs> <laughs> but there's there's a Facebook page, there's a wiki page on Murder Kroger. It was like really this huge thing, uh, or became this huge thing. And on the Facebook and page, people again account like tell their tales about you know the muggings, the carjackings, the guy peeing in the ice cream aisle, oh. the mysterious blood in the bathroom. Oh God! Uh, 
sex workers, drug deals, addicts, and the used condom trails that were kind of like ran across the parking lot like Hansel and Gretel from breadcrumbs. Oh, my God. <laughs> was a quote. Um, but because of the sketchiness and, and, and this bad juju, you know, and it really it had character you know it, it gives that flavor to or had given that flavor to the neighborhood and <laughs> the it, murder flavor the murder unfortunately mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. but now there's like stroller pushing moms have replaced the sex oh, yeah. workers walking around uh the claremont hotel was being renovated and is now like a fancy boutique brand but the lounge is still there yeah <laughs> and the apartments that were built over in, um, I think the Pont City Market. I mean, they're like three thousand dollars a month. Oh God, yeah, yeah. They're I mean, they're sure. basically outpriced anybody that originally lived in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So, Murder Kroger Forever Facebook group. Yes, it is. So now that they demolished in two thousand sixteen, they demolished the Murder Kroger. They were making way for a $140 million mixed-use mid-rise, just like what was happening over across the street. That would include a 60,000-square-foot Kroger adjacent to Uh the Beltline. Named the Beltline Kroger, and it's supposed to open next month, October 16th. And I went and looked at the photos of this, and y'all... It is the worst. I mean, there is no personality to these buildings mm. that they've put there. And the f- number, the picture, I mean, it's like, I wish they could have like struck a happy medium. Mm-hmm. I wish they would kind of maintain some of the flavor of the neighborhood, some of the uniqueness that makes, you know, made it what it was without the murder, sans the murder. Uh but they went total opposite direction, and the photo they show on front page, and I'll, I'll put it on, um, I'll add it to our photos, is this guy on a scooter, like an adult on like the little scooters that are across the cities now, mm-hmm. in front of this very utilitarian, stark, sterile-looking building that just makes you want to throw up. Ugh. It really does. So... If you are in Atlanta and you're over on Ponce de Leon Avenue and you see Ponce City Market uh, over there to the east of it, I believe, near the Beltline is where once Murder Kroger lived. And I have a feeling it's still going to be Murder Kroger. I have a feeling. Like, hopefully not actually new murders. Well, they said maybe aggravated assault. (laughs) Aggravated (laughs) assault Kroger. (laughs) But, you know. It's 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 horrible because I feel that there are so many and and like the murder of, um, oh my God, her name just left my brain. The murder the of Cynthia, mm-hmm. murder of Cynthia uh, Priolu. I really wish that somebody would look into that. I mean, the dude saw the car of the guy that shot her and mm-hmm. then ran. I mean, he saw the guy, he saw the car, and they still not you know have caught that guy to me that's just i don't know i feel mm. like that's unacceptable well that they haven't caught that guy and you know atlanta police corruption is uh yeah a thing too that is true and the guy that was in the trunk that we'll never know who and what i mean 
happened there. Ugh. But that is Murder Kroger. Murder if Kroger. you've never heard of Murder Kroger, um, if you're not from the South, or even if you are from the South and not familiar with the the Atlanta naming of their Krogers, though, was something new to me. I My friend Patrick had told me about Disco Kroger years and years and years ago, and I was just looking it up because I was trying to figure out if he was just playing me because he told me stories of a club that had sharks and a glass floor and that I think when I looked it up real quick, it looks like the next to the Kroger was this club called the Limelight that had it was like it had a shark tank and a glass floor a disco club. And that it was the first next door was the first 24 hour Kroger in Buckhead, I guess. And so people from the club would just kind of wander over mm-hmm. and it became the disco Kroger. Wow. And so, because I was like, all I remember was Patrick telling me about like dance club with sharks and a glass floor. And in my head, it was like sharks under the glass floor, but I don't think that's right. Right. Yeah. That, I would totally put sharks under What'd the glass floor. What did you say, Courtney? Floor. I don't know. For some reason, that's all. And people dressed as mermaids. And people dressed as mermaids in the <laughs> tanks. We could, we could look, we'll look it up. Yeah. I'm going to have to look up all these like kosher Kroger. I've got to know where, where these Krogers are, but that is my tell of murder Kroger and it's demise. Well, that's our show. That is. Thanks for listening y'all. Bye. Bye. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check out our website, thestrangesouth.com. All our social media links are there. And for extra fun and goodies, join our Facebook fan group, Fans of the Strange South Podcast. And if you love us so much that you want to support what we do and get bonus episodes and behind-the-scenes photos and videos, please consider joining our Patreon, Patreon, Patreon at www.patreon.com slash thestrangesouth. The song is called Murder Kroger and it's dedicated to anyone that shops at the Kroger on Ponce. Good.
Good, you won't come back alive. 